into Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we will read the first 16 verses, and it's verses 14 through 16 that will make up the text for this evening's sermon. Ephesians chapter 4, first 16 verses, this is the inspired and therefore infallible word of our God. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended... What is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We end our scripture reading at that point. The text for tonight's sermon is verses 14 through 16. Let's reread them. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians follows the same pattern that characterizes many of his other epistles. 
in that the first half of the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 through 3, is primarily doctrinal instruction. Sets forth the truth of the gospel and the fact that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. It taught us about it taught it teaches us about the church of Jesus Christ, the as the body of Christ and how we are all one as those who are united to him. But having set forth those doctrinal truths in the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul transitions in chapter 4 to taking those same truths and bringing them to bear upon our lives by giving us practical instruction regarding how we are to live in light of the truths that he established in the first three chapters. Obviously, the text that we consider tonight falls in the second half. This is a part of God's Word to us in exhorting us of the life we are now to live as those who are thankful for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And God's Word to us in this particular passage is that we are to grow spiritually. We are to seek to become mature Christians. I say that's the main truth set forth here in this passage. That's evident in that all three verses that we consider tonight point us in that direction. Verse 14 states it negatively, the very beginning, that we henceforth be no more children. Verse 15 states it positively in the second half that we may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And then verse 16 at the very end talks about the body making increase of the body unto the edifying, the upbuilding of itself in love. All three verses, therefore, are emphasizing the importance and the calling to grow from a spiritual point of view. And it's this word that we want to consider tonight as a part of our applicatory service. This morning, we considered the truth of the gospel that Christ Jesus came into this world to save the chief of sinners. And we saw that gospel set forth visibly before our eyes. And now our hearts are filled with gratitude. And it's with thankfulness in our hearts that we now come to church again saying, what shall I render unto the Lord? How would He have me to live a thankful life? This passage provides us one of many possible answers and that God would have us to grow. So it's that truth that we focus on this evening. So we consider Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 16, using as our theme, very simply, growing up into Christ. First, we'll look at the meaning. That is, we'll look at this passage from a general point of view. Second, we'll look at the specifics. There are two of them, two aspects of growing up into Christ that come out here. And then third, the place, the context where this growth takes place. As Christians, we are meant to grow. And that means from a negative point of view, we are not to be spiritual children. Verse 14, that we henceforth 
be no more children. And obviously it's talking about not being children from a spiritual point of view. I trust that you all recognize the need for such a word. Because it can happen that those who have grown up from a physical point of view still behave themselves very much so like children. We see this when we look at the world around us. We can see other individuals who, based on their stature, how old they are, you would expect to have someone who's relatively mature, but then when you interact with them or see them encounter some difficulty, all of a sudden you see that this individual is acting like a child. We even use that expression. And it's a tragedy when we see that in the world. But if, but if it's a tragedy to see that in the world, it's an even greater tragedy to see that in the church. And to see that from a spiritual point of view. And that too can happen. It can happen that though an individual has been in the church of Jesus Christ for many years, it can happen that even though we've been in the church from the time that we were newborn babes, and though we've grown up from a physical point of view, spiritually we are still children. This is the very thing that the writer of the book of Hebrews had to address in his epistle. In Hebrews 5 verse 12 we read, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He's saying, based on what I'm hearing about you, I feel like I have to go back to the basics. I have to go back to the fundamentals, the ABCs of the Christian faith. The diet I'm giving you is that of a child when you should be ready for spiritual meat. It was a problem back then. A problem that the church has faced all throughout her history that different saints in the congregation still behave themselves like spiritual children. The question for us is whether that's true of you. Whether that's true of me. Do we still have a misunderstanding of the character of God so that we view Him as this cold, austere deity who we have, whom we have to pacify in some way? Do we still have a fundamental misconception concerning the Gospel of Jesus Christ so that in our hearts we still feel as though we have to earn our way back into God's favor? How do we respond to the trials that come upon us? Do we still respond with a complete lack of faith and trust? What about conflict? Do we still handle it the exact same way the world handles it? Do we still have those same besetting sins that have always characterized our lives and there's been no discernible growth in our battle against them? 
How do we view our devotions coming to church? Are they but a burden to us? What does the Sabbath day's rest mean to us? Is it just a day to get caught up on sleep? So just a few questions that provide a litmus test, a gauge as to whether I'm still a child from a spiritual point of view. And the word of God that comes to us tonight is that we are to henceforth be no more children. It ought not be that though we've grown up in the church or been in the church for many years, there's been no growth. God's word to us tonight through the Apostle Paul is to grow up spiritually. And that's the positive. The negative is expressed in verse 14, be no more children. Positively in verse 15, we read that we may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. That is, there should be progress in our lives. There should be growth and development so that we become increasingly mature as Christians. And that in such a way that others can recognize it. Others can see it in our hearts and lives. Grow up, says Paul. Now notice, very importantly, says grow up into Him. Grow up into Christ. That is, we're to grow spiritually in the sense of being more and more like Christ as those who are united to Christ and who are partakers of Jesus Christ. Growing up spiritually means being conformed to the image of our Savior. So that from a spiritual point of view, we, we begin to look like Him more and more. We certainly know what Christ looks like. The Gospel has provided us a, a portrait of our Savior so that we, though we have no idea what He looked like from a physical point of view, nevertheless, we know His character. And we know that Jesus Christ was not one to be tossed to and fro. He was not one to be governed by a whim, but He was steadfast. He persevered in His path leading to the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ is the one who was a humble servant. He was willing to get down on His hands and knees to wash the dirty, stinking feet of His bickering disciples. Jesus Christ is the one who, was, who submitted Himself perfectly to the will of His Father. So that not just in Gethsemane, but the whole of his life, his constant prayer was, not my will, but thy will be done. And Jesus Christ is the emblem of self-sacrificial love. And that he laid down his life for us, his people. He was willing to have his blood shed that we might be redeemed from our sin and misery. And really, we could spend the whole sermon painting a portrait saying, this is what Christ looked like from a spiritual point of view. But the point of this passage is to see the calling that we have to grow up into Him, that is to be like Christ, to be conformed to Him so that growing for us means growing in our steadfastness and, and our perseverance. Growth for us means growing in our humble service 
toward one another as members of the body of Christ. Growth for the Christian means growing in our submission to God's will and our submission to all those whom He's placed in authority over us. Growth for the Christian means growth in self-sacrificial love, giving of our time, our energy, our abilities, our resources for the advantage and the salvation of the other members in the church. We are to grow up into Christ. That is, we are to be like Christ. That happens only as we partake of Christ. As those who have been united to Him. You see, when the Apostle Paul speaks of growing up into Him, that is, into Christ, he clearly has in view our union with Christ. The fact that we are in Christ. There's now this living, vital connection between us and our Savior. It's only because that union exists that we could ever expect to grow. And it's only as we partake of Christ by faith that this growth will ever happen. It's only as we eat His flesh and drink His blood that we then are nourished spiritually and thus strengthened, and thus given the grace to grow. So this growth is something that takes place by faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not just that Christ is the example, and we all aim to be like Him. That's true. But the point is that out of thankfulness for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, that's my motive. That's what drives me in this. And it's, the power of Christ Himself and His Spirit that enables us as Christians to grow so that apart from Him, it would be impossible to heed this Word, to make even a small beginning in this. Grow up into Christ, that is, become like Him as those who partake of Him in union with Him. Now the Spirit adds more to that. Because in verse 15 we read that we may grow up into Him in all things. In every respect. In all aspects of the Christian life so that there should not be these imbalances in us as Christian. We're to grow up into Christ in all things. That includes growing up into Him in knowledge and understanding. That's so crucially important because part of saving faith is knowledge. So if our faith is going to be strengthened, that means our knowledge must be strengthened. It must grow. That means growing in our understanding of God's Word and the different truths that are set forth. And it means growing in our understanding of the Reformed faith and our theology. It means coming to see how all the different aspects of God's Word and the Reformed faith fit together into this beautiful and blessed harmony. Grow up in knowledge and understanding. Grow up also in our spiritual affections, in our emotions and feelings. Perhaps you ask, well, what on earth does that mean? Perhaps the best way to answer that question is with another question. Are we still moved 
by the wonder of salvation in Jesus Christ? Are we gripped by the astounding truth that Christ came into this world to save even the chief of sinners? Or is it the case that when we hear these things, we think, well, I've already heard this. Why would I ever need to hear this again? This is old news. Let's, let's hear something new. Let's hear something different. Well, so far as that's our response, it betrays we are but spiritual children. For a part of spiritual growth is that more and more we are astonished at the wonder of our salvation in Jesus Christ. There should be an ever-increasing sense of wonder as we hear the Gospel again and again and week after week so that there's growth in our spiritual affections. But growing up into all things means not only are we to grow in our knowledge and understanding, not only are we to grow in our spiritual affections, but we're to grow in our conduct and our behavior so that the sins that once characterized our lives, we, we begin to put them away. Yes, we may still struggle with them, but perhaps we don't fall as frequently into that sin or perhaps we don't fall as deeply into that sin as we once did. That includes how we respond to trials, spiritual growth, means that we're not so rattled by the troubles and afflictions that we face. means we're not so easily set off by disturbances. Grow up into Him in all things. That's the main truth of this passage. And this word comes to all in the congregation, young and old. So that not even the oldest members of the congregation are excluded from this. The office bearers are not excluded from this word. We all have the calling to grow from a spiritual point of view. That said, there is special application for the young people and the young adults of the congregation. You have grown from a physical point of view. Your bodies have developed. Your minds, your abilities have increased. But is that also true spiritually? Again, we can ask some questions that help us gauge that. Young people, young adults, what is it that governs your life? Is it keeping your post street going? Or is it the Word of God? How do you spend your time, young people? Is it always in front of a screen? Is it hours and hours of video games? Or are you able to put that aside and spend time in God's Word? What are we most concerned about? 
what others think of us, how many likes we get, how many followers we have, or is our chief concern what God thinks of us? Draw from the Young People's Convention. What do you rejoice in, young person? So the things of this life, getting together on a Friday night, or are you rejoicing in God? God's word, especially to the young people tonight, is to put away childish thinking, to put away childish things, and to grow up from a spiritual point of view. And do you not want this young person and young adult in light of all that Jesus Christ has done for you? When you think about how He came into this world, left glory behind, and took upon Himself your sin and guilt, and carried it to the cross to lay down His life on your behalf. It's when we think about that, when we're gripped with the wonder of salvation, that we then say, I want to grow. I want to develop as a Christian. All of that is looking at this text from a general point of view. And certainly we have sprinkled in quite a number of specific applications that are part of growing up spiritually. But now we want to focus on the two specifics that are part of this particular passage. Paul tells us by inspiration, grow up into Christ. And he gives us two areas, two specifics in which we are to grow. First, we are to grow up in doctrinal stability. Doctrinal stability. And we say that in light of verse 14. Verse 14 reads that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Verse 14 reminds us of the very real danger and threat of false teaching and false teachers. And certainly the Apostle Paul had already warned the Ephesians about this threat. He did so, for example, when he was on his way back to Jerusalem, the tail end of his third missionary journey, and he called the elders of Ephesus to come down and meet him in Miletus. A part of his word to the Ephesian elders was this word, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. False teachers are a threat to the church. And they're a threat to the church in large part because of their cunning and their craftiness, their deceitfulness. And that's what this passage emphasizes for us in the language that's used here. It speaks of the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to 
deceive. It's emphasizing that while there may be certain false doctrines that are blatant heresy, this is an obvious lie. The reality is those are rare. What's far more prevalent and far more dangerous is when these are clothed in such a way that they're presented as being gospel truth. It's the deceitfulness, the the cunning that comes along with them that makes them such a threat. For example, the Spirit speaks of the, the slight of men. That word slight refers literally to a dice. And the idea here is that men would frame their dice in such a way or would use sleight of hand to get the the role that they want. It's talking about those who are cheating in a board game. And the Spirit takes that and uses that that figure and applies it to false teachers. They're using sleight of hand. They're seeking to trick you, to deceive you. Whether it's by taking some passage of Scripture, trying to ground their teaching in it, but really they're, they're only twisting that passage. They're distorting the meaning or taking it out of context. Or perhaps they take some term that we're familiar with, some theological term, and they use it, but they're, they're giving entirely different and new meaning to it. Or it's through the appeal to scholarship and learning. How could such a man who's so well educated, ever be wrong. Surely we have to trust his research on this. They seek to deceive. Thus they are a threat, especially to those who are but spiritual children. And that's the point here. Paul says by inspiration that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. The point is, those who are spiritual children are those who are easily led astray. He says they're tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. The apostle here is clearly using the illustration of a, of a ship caught in a great storm. It's at the, the mercy of the winds. First it's blown this way, and then it's blown that way. There's no anchor to keep it safe and secure. You can readily understand why the Apostle Paul uses this as an illustration. When you remember, he's writing as a prisoner from Rome, and you remember how he got to Rome by that perilous journey on ship in which they encountered that great storm and their ship truly was tossed to and fro by the winds. Paul knows what it is to experience that. And he takes that and by inspiration applies it to those who are spiritual children and saying, this is a characteristic of him. That they are tossed to and fro. They're at the the mercies of the false teachers. First they believe this lie. And then they believe this false doctrine. And there's nothing to anchor their hearts and their souls so that they are safe and secure. And thus, there is the need to grow up into Christ in this specific area in our 
doctrinal stability. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro or to grow up in our ability to recognize theological error. We're to grow up in our aptitude to see through the, the lies and the deceits of false teachers, to recognize a wolf as a wolf. And all of that means growing in our understanding of the truth of God's Word and of the Reformed faith. And this will happen only by faith in Jesus Christ as we grow up into Him. You see, when we come to the specifics, we can't forget what we already learned in the first point. We have to hold on to that. When the Apostle Paul taught us that growing up means growing up into Christ, in union with Him as we partake of Christ. Because the reality is that it's only when we're given the mind of Christ that we're going to be able to see through the false doctrine, through the lies, through the cunning, through the deceit. It's only the Spirit of Christ who gives us that relish for our Savior and the truth of God's sovereignty and our salvation that will help us to develop that distaste for anything that detracts from God's glory. So that when we encounter something, though we can't put our finger on it, though we cannot articulate, this is what's wrong with it, this is why we must reject this, out of love for our Savior, we still are able to see there's something wrong with this. Because it's bringing down my Savior. We are to grow up into Christ. And that includes growing in our doctrinal stability. All of that said, we also must recognize Christ uses means. He's not going to inject theological knowledge into us. But instead, He treats us as rational, moral creatures. Preached this earlier, and my notes are out of order. Excuse the pause. Christ uses means. He's not going to infuse theological knowledge into us, but He deals with us as rational, moral creatures. That is, those who are thinking and willing. And thus, we're only going to grow as we study. As we study God's Word. As we study sound, reformed literature, whether it's the beacon lights or the standard bearer, whether it's an RFPA publication or some other good reformed book. God would have us to read, to be a people of the book. And perhaps you object, but I'm not a reader. I struggle to read those sorts of things. Well, I can be sensitive to that because there was a time in my life where the last thing you would have found me doing was reading any book, let alone a spiritual, theological book. But there's the encouragement that with all spiritual disciplines, there is growth in them over time. You can cultivate 
a life of study and the abilities to study. And perhaps one of the main ways in which we can grow in this area is by putting away the distractions, putting away that phone, closing our computer. Because if that phone's in hand's reach, and I'm trying to dig through some reform book, probably it will not take long before I've closed the book and I'm simply on my phone. We need to put away the distractions so that we can devote ourselves in this particular way. And if we ask, well, why would I? Because God's Word tells us this is a part of growing up into Christ. That's the first specific that we see here. The second is the need to grow up in truthful and loving speech. And that's the first half of verse 15. We've dealt with the second half, may grow up into him. The first half reads, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him. We're to speak the truth. And now in light of the context, the primary application here has to do with speaking the truth concerning God. We've just talked about false teachers and the dangers there so that when we come to speaking the truth, what stands on the foreground is professing the truth concerning God over against the lie. That said, that does not exclude the implied calling of also speaking the truth concerning one another so that we avoid all manner of lies and slanders so that we stop spreading those false rumors about each other. We're to speak the truth. And we're to do that in love. Speak the truth in love, the Spirit adds. And that's so critically important because as the Apostle Paul wrote elsewhere, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, that is, if I have not love, I am become as a sounding brass. And the idea there is I am become like a noisy gong. Become like a tinkling that is a clanging cymbal. If my speech is not seasoned with love. And that means when I speak the truth concerning God, when I defend the truth, it must be in a spirit of love with motives that commend the gospel rather than detracting from the gospel. And when it means I speak concerning the neighbor, one question I must ask before I speak is, is this truthful? It's a a filter I have to place over my mouth so that I guard the words that come out of the doors of my lips. But then I also have to ask, is it loving? So that though it may be truthful, if it's not loving, it's not going to escape from my mouth. Speak the truth in love. And what this teaches us is that these two things are not mutually exclusive. It's not that I have to pick truth or love, but the two must be brought together. They have to go together. Because Truth without love has lost its grace. It's cold. It's clinical. It's pharisaical and hard-edged. 
But love without truth is just as bad. Love without truth is spineless. Love without truth is often an excuse for unfettered indulgence in this sin or in that error. The two must go together. Even as they're found together in Jesus Christ. That's where we see these wed, brought together, for He is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a part of His very being and essence as the Son of God. But not only is He truth, He's also love. For God is love. And thus Jesus Christ is love incarnate. He is the God of everlasting love. They come together in Him. And thus they must both characterize our lives as well. And that will happen only as we grow up into Christ, as we partake of Christ in union with Christ. So it's only when we recognize Jesus as truth. This is the very identity of my Savior. This belongs to who He is. But I am now committed to speaking truth. That I want nothing to do with lies and falsehood and gossip and slander. And it's only when we look to Christ and see His love and the fact that we are the objects of His love, that He so loved us that He was willing to lay down His life for us, that we then want to love one another, to show something, a dim reflection of that great love that He's bestowed upon us, or to grow up into Christ. That includes growing up in our loving and truthful speech. We've considered the main word of this passage. We've looked at the two specifics. Now we need to finally, now we need to conclude by considering the place, the context, where this growth takes place. Here, in the church. And we say that in light of verse 16. Apostle Paul continues by inspiration, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working, in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now as we come to verse 16, it's worth admitting this is probably one of the most complicated sentences in the whole of the New Testament. This is the type of verse that when you come to it and read it, you finish reading it and you wonder, what did I just read? And the reason for that is that verse 16 is really the conclusion of a subsection running from verses 1 through 16. And what the Apostle Paul is aiming to do is grab different truths that he's already established, that he's already taught, and bring them all together into one verse. makes it difficult. It makes it complicated. Then it means if we're going to understand it, we need to take the verse apart, look at the different aspects, and then see how they all fit together. So let's do that, even if only briefly. 
What we see when we do that, at least when we look on the surface, is that he's clearly talking about the church of Jesus Christ. That comes out from the fact that he begins by speaking of the, the whole body and speaks of different joints. And when we look at that in light of what he just said, referring to Christ as the head, well, if we have Christ as head and he's talking about some body, we all recognize the body is the church. So that's what we see on the surface. That's what orients us as we start to pull the verse apart. And then we can start at the beginning where he says, from whom? And obviously the whom here is referring back to Christ. We see here one of Paul's habits that he has this tendency, a good tendency, to always begin with Christ. A reminder to us, we always must begin with Christ. And he begins this way, even though he's already taught that Christ is the head. He's already taught that in previous chapters, so that when he, he comes to verses 15 and 16 and reminds us that Christ is the head, and begins verse 16, from whom? What we have here is really a repetition. But it's a blessed and a glorious repetition. And that it reminds us at the very beginning of this verse that the church has her source in Jesus Christ. Her life, her strength, her gifts, her energy, her growth, they all come from Christ. They have their source in Him. And that's why Paul begins, from whom? And then he goes on to add, drawing from that source, the church as a whole helps the individual members to grow so that spiritual growth takes place in the church. And we can say that in light of the basic fundamental sentence that's found in verse 16. We need to locate that. Verse 16 begins, from whom? And now we come to our subject, the whole body. From there, we need to insert mentally a dash or a parenthesis. If you're one to write in your Bible, it's not a bad idea to do that. The whole body, dash, and now everything in the middle is really a, a long parenthetical statement, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, dash. And now here finally is our verb, maketh increased, maketh increase, and now the object of the body, so that the basic sentence is, the whole body maketh increase of the body. That is, it's the body as a whole that helps each individual member to grow and to develop from a spiritual point of view. And that's why we are labeling this third point the way we are, the place, the context for Spiritual growth is here in the church as a member of the body of Christ. And that's true because of what's found in that parenthetical statement. The fact that we've all been joined together and 
given different gifts. If we go back to the, the middle part of the verse, we see that it begins that we've been, this body's been fitly joined together and compacted. That is, we've all been united together. We've been united to Christ our head, and because each one of us is united to Christ our head, that means we're all united, we're connected to each other, and connected as body parts. Not just this random assortment that's been thrown together, but we've been connected the way each part of our body is connected to the next so that they they fit together. We each have a a place in the body of Christ. And what is more, we're given the grace to serve one another. That's what follows by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. The point there is Christ gives to each one of us not only a place, but he gives to each one of us different gifts different abilities, different talents. And along with that, He gives us the grace to use them in the service of the body. And it's when the body functions that way that the whole body maketh increase of the body. That the the church as a whole helps each individual member to grow spiritually. And that has application for us. Reminds us of the importance of being a part of this church. Reminds us of the importance of the means of grace because that's a part of how the whole body makes increase of the body. And we say that in light of the Connection to the previous context. If we back up even further to verse 11, for example, we read, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That is, God's given to his church office bears, especially the office of pastor and teacher. And that for the increase of the body for the edifying of the body. We're going to grow in the church because it's in the church of Jesus Christ that Christ Himself speaks to us through the preaching of the Gospel. We're going to grow in the church because it's in the church that we have the sacraments that set before us our Savior and His sacrifice. We're going to grow in the church because it's in the church that we're going to be We're going to hear warnings against different false doctrines that would lead us astray. But it's not just the the preaching and the official means of grace, but it's the body as a whole that we need. We need each other. Because it's the other members of the church that can help us when we go astray. It's the other members of the church who can recognize when you and I are in a spiritual rut and they can come to us in a loving and a gentle way and pull us back and be used as a means in God's hand to help us to grow spiritually. See, other members of the body of Christ who encourage us in our walk of life to continue steadfast and faithful 
Even when life gets difficult, even when there's trial and afflictions that come upon us. It's the other members of the body of Christ that hold us accountable, that help keep us from going astray. It's the other members of the church that help us to grow and to develop as we talk with one another, as we engage in Bible studies. We need the body. And that means very concretely, if we expect to grow as Christians, we need to be here in God's house on the Sabbath day, hearing the preaching, partaking of the sacraments, means we need to be involved in the life of the congregation, surrounding ourselves with the other members of the church. Because the reality is that while there may be some rare exceptions, as a general rule, There is a direct correlation between one's attendance to the means of grace and his involvement in the life of the church and his spiritual maturity, on the other hand. As one commentator put it, if you think to yourself that you grow by yourself without a body, you deceive yourself. We cannot be on the fringe of the congregation and the life of the church and expect to grow because we need each other. We need the other members, the body as a whole. Because this is the place, this is the context in which true spiritual growth takes place. So may God grant us the grace as a body to help one another grow up into Christ in all things. Amen. Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for thy word, and we pray that thou wilt apply it to our hearts. Work in us by thy spirit, so that we might grow spiritually. And we make this petition of thee, recognizing our own inability, confessing that it's only because thou dost work in us the willing and the doing that we can begin to heed this word. And it's with that in mind that we come to Thee seeking Thy grace and imploring Thee to help us to grow spiritually, to work that in us by Thy Spirit. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.